Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, a weekly conversation about mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. For more information or to find a therapist in your area, visit our website at therapyforblackgirls.com. While I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for joining me for session 217 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. We'll get into the episode right after a word from our sponsors. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Forum understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've seen quite a few videos on social media recently of young women soliciting help in finding the perfect dress for graduation. Might I suggest you add Macy's to your list? They have lots of options for dresses that will transition perfectly from under your gown to that incredible dinner with family after the ceremony. Check out options from brands like On 34th, Michael Kors, DKNY, and many more. Shop at Macy's.com or in-store. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, Let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Buying your first car can make you feel like a superstar as it's a big purchase, but it can take time to get there. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T dot com to start living yours. Let's get into it. You may have heard that most people who are Black have O-type blood. O is commonly needed for emergencies. 
But did you know one in three of us is a match for patients with sickle cell disease? Regardless of blood type, every day our blood saves lives and eases the pain of those living with sickle cell. Donate blood at Red Cross to help save a life. Black excellence is in our blood. Visit redcrossblood.org slash ourblood to make an appointment now. In session 60 of the podcast, Dr. Donna Oreo-Wo, author of Cocoa Butter and Hair Grease, joined us to discuss colorism, texturism, and how we could begin to dismantle these things in our lives and in our relationships. Here's a clip from that conversation. And what do you think we can do, Donna, as a community to begin or continue to change the conversation around like light skin and pretty hair, so to speak, being the only things that are deemed attractive? What you said is so true. We definitely started. So Issa Rae's Insecure shows us a different spectrum of beauty. The Black Panther, of course, showed a completely different spectrum of beauty. But some of that is what we are going to do for ourselves as individuals, as well as how we're going to relate to one another. So number one, you know, like this judgment of someone's character based on their hair has got to stop. Because what often is happening is someone is seeing someone with light skin and there's, you know, the silkier hair and they're saying, oh, well, they're stuck up. I'm like, well, you don't know them. You, you haven't had a conversation with them. You're already assuming a character trait based on what you see. Just like there's an assumption that if you are dark skinned with kinky hair, that somehow you are lazy and not willing to take pride in your appearance. So that judgment of character based on our hair and our skin tone, that's part of what needs to sort of stop. We need to, you know, take stock of why we are feeling and thinking this way and figure out whether or not this thought even originated with us. Because what I'm finding is that for most people, it's not what they think first. It's what someone else thought that they have adapted as their own. Mm -hmm. And where are those messages primarily coming from? Oh, it's, this is so pervasive in American society that I'm not even sure You know, it's one of those, like, what started first, the chicken or the egg sort of Mm -hmm. conversations. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course, we have to talk about slavery and to deny slavery's impact on texturism and colorism is to deny a huge part of Black culture here in America. So they already were grading us based on our skin tone and our hair texture then. So those that were closer in looks to them, you know, through rape and all this, all that other stuff that was going on, they're like, oh, well, I like this child. I'll take better care of this child. So lighter skinned slaves with good hair got better privileges. Now, that's not to say that it didn't suck all around because it did. It's still slavery. But more likely to be freed, more likely to be taught to read and write. And uh, more likely to have other privileges like, oh, you get to bathe more often. You get to wash your hair, your hair more often. Like, yay, you. Uh, but so, like, we have to understand the impact that slavery has had. And I know that a lot of people want to say, but slavery was so long ago. And to that, I say, let's go back to what they already said in The Lion King. When Rafiki hit Simba on the head, he said it's in the past, but it still hurt. And I want us to remember that just because something happened in the past doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt. 
for clients that you see, you know, probably 18 and older, like what kinds of strategies are you using with them to help them unpack some of this and to really heal some of the trauma that has likely come about related to either hair texture or skin color? I can talk about that all day. (laughs) But where I end up starting, um, number one is some people won't even acknowledge that that is the problem. So first, you know, like I'm I'm trying to unpack about why they're there and they don't want to bring it up in that way because they don't want to seem like they're hating on themselves, but they're hating on themselves. Mm -hmm. So I, I try to, number one, help them to even see that this is an issue that they have been having and that they like to talk around that issue. So what I like to do is really get people from a place of talking around it to talking about it specifically and being real about it. And knowing and also talking about the origins of where this came from, because unfortunately, a lot of us got these hurts from our parents, from our mothers, from our grandmothers, and we don't want to talk badly about them because they did so much for us, which, and, and, you know, I'm not denying what they have done for us or the great things that they have instilled within us, but that doesn't mean that we cannot also acknowledge the bad with the good. So being able to sort of separate the things that we didn't like from the things that we did like about growing up and how those messages continue to show themselves in our everyday life. So trying to make it, trying to make sure that we are bringing that up and that we're actually talking about that. And really also examining the difference between how they think about themselves and how they think other people think about them sort of getting to that intrinsic versus extrinsic value and, you know, getting those baseline assessments. I need to understand where they are and where they're trying to go and their reasoning for getting there. So what tips might you have for listeners who might be struggling with some of these issues? Any like places for them to start? I would say first, the first step is always to me acknowledgement. Stop holding on to that pain and to your silence It's way past time to speak out. Talk to your mother, your grandmother, your family, your romantic partner. Talk to the people that are in your life that you love but have hurt you in some way, shape, or form. And also, that means you have to talk to yourself. You have to acknowledge the way you also hurt you. And just having that first step of acknowledgement is, I mean, really, it does wonders in and of itself. Acknowledgement and then thinking of your what next? What do I want to do next? How do I want to proceed with this? And of course, making sure that we're not trivializing it, that we're not saying that, you know, hair, hair texture and skin tone are frivolous because they're not. Just like we wouldn't say that racism is frivolous. We should not be saying that colorism and texturism, which are derivatives of racism, are frivolous. It doesn't make any sense to say that. So as a community, we need to be able to be willing to have this conversation. And that means that our light-skinned divas have to check themselves and their privilege and listen to our darker-skinned people and vice versa, because everybody is having some level of hurt. It's just that some hurt is more systematic and, and sort of follow, mimics the way that racism has been mimicked. So it's like, yes, you can hurt a white person's feelings, but that doesn't mean that you, you've reversed racism them. And it's the same thing with colorism and texturism. 
just understanding power and the power dynamics and how those things sort of come together. Those are really going to help with being able to move forward in a positive direction where we can all heal collectively. As a follow-up to that conversation and to broaden it, today I'm joined by Dr. Yaba Blay, who is a scholar activist, public speaker, and cultural consultant whose scholarship, work, and practice centers on the lived experiences of Black women and girls with a particular focus on identity and body politics and beauty practices. She is also the author of the award-winning book, One Drop, Shifting the Lens on Race. Dr. Blay and I further discuss the system of white supremacy, skin color politics, and the role of the media in shaping our ideas about who we are. She begins by sharing her thoughts on the social construct of race and how it has evolved throughout history. People always say race is a social construct, but I don't know if they really understand what they mean when they say that, right? It's bigger than a social construct. It is a political one. And by political, I mean that there are negotiations of power at play. And so at its origin, the only purpose for creating race was to substantiate racism. That doesn't make race a fact. Yeah. And can you expand on that a little more to kind of talk about like how you have seen the conversations on race evolve kind of throughout history? Well, they weren't conversations. (laughs) (laughs) They were laws. It wasn't anything to discuss. It was a law, right? And so in creating Blackness, for example, and the language, of course, has changed over time. And I'm speaking specifically about the United States example, though the book talks about many global examples. In this context, I want to be clear that I'm talking about how race was constructed in the United States specifically. But race has been situated as binary opposites for the most part, right? And so when I say that race was constructed to substantiate racism, I'm saying that whiteness needed a reason to justify its oppression of Blackness. And how do you do that but to create binary opposites, total ends of the spectrum? Whiteness comes to be defined as pure, and that is the language that they use. And so whatever it is it meant to be Black was going to be the opposite of that. If whiteness was all things human and, and, and civil and you know smart and good and valuable, Blackness was going to have to be everything opposite. And it wasn't about it being a fact, right? This wasn't based upon fact. This was based upon a projected definition that needed to substantiate Racism, how else do you justify being able to literally walk onto any continent that you please and do whatever you want with the land and the people if you don't justify your superiority in this world, right? And so much of what we have come to believe, understand, know about race is not real. It's constructed. Once you put white supremacy on the table, didn't they buy our bodies? (laughs) Entitlement. Shouldn't they have access to our culture? This this is their inheritance. So it's not surprising, y'all. It's a sense of entitlement that comes with the historical inheritance of whiteness. I watched a newly released interview someone did with James Baldwin back in the day that apparently hadn't gotten much traction. And so it was just re-released a couple of weeks ago. And I watched it. 
And I love Baldwin for his bluntness Mm -hmm. and the way he would look white people in the eye and tell the truth. And he's having this conversation with this white woman who, of course, is walking with him through Harlem and looking at, you know, the Blacks in Harlem and stuff. (laughs) And so she's talking to him and, you know, he's letting white people have it. He's letting white supremacy as a system have it. And, you know, she's looking a little weary. And he's like, look, I don't know you personally, but I know you historically. Mm. And that's what I'm saying. Not talking about individual white people necessarily. We're talking about historical, political relationships that we should not be asked to forget. You mentioned, you know, white supremacy as an institution, right? Like not necessarily individuals and that white people are not, of course, the only people who buy into these systems. Like it is everywhere. And so, of course, even black people sometimes buy into these systems. And I find that this comes up most often when we try to have conversations around colorism, you know, and it feels like it's really hard for people to grapple with the idea, like like they can see it on some level, like of course there are differences between how darker skinned sisters are treated versus light skinned sisters. But it feels like sometimes light skinned sisters don't want to let go of like the pain that they may have been caused mm-hmm. by their skin color and don't understand like how that isn't also colorism. So language is important. Mm-hmm. And so it's why I, this is me, how I approach it. I use colorism to mean one thing. I use skin color politics to mean another. Skin color politics will be a broader spectrum Mm. that would allow for us to talk about, again, negotiations of power that are based upon skin color, which means it could move in multiple directions. It allows for us to talk about that pain you mentioned, right? Mm. That all of us experience. When we talk about colorism, though, we're speaking specifically to a system that is founded on power differentials. It doesn't work in reverse in the same way that we should not be saying reverse racism. There is no reverse colorism. Right. And so for me, in opening up the space to talk about skin color politics, I acknowledge that there may be pain. Right. I don't want to dismiss that at all. Pain that comes with perhaps feeling rejected or being teased or what have you for having light skin and even for being, you know, racially ambiguous. I heard a lot of those stories from many of the folks in my book in one drop. But similarly, you know, I hesitate to make the likeness, but the likeness is necessary because what I know is that colorism is an outgrowth of white supremacy. And we can't talk about colorism without situating it within the broader context of white supremacy. But in the same way that we don't want to hear white folks talk about how they've also been discriminated against, (laughs) it's hard for us to hear. And that's just me being a human being being a Black woman and being honest. And I feel like we have to create safe spaces for us to be honest Mm -hmm. about how we feel about these things and our relationship to these things and our experiences with these things if we truly want to move forward. And I've been able to have some beautiful conversations with light-skinned sisters and work through some of this, right? Because again, I don't want to negate or dismiss any of your experiences But I also want you to not do the same to mine, right? Mm -hmm. And when you liken what you are going through to what I am going through, that feels like a dismissal Mm -hmm. or an inability or refusal to recognize it for what it is, right? Because you can talk about pain, but you don't want to talk about your privilege. Mm. And in the same ways that we continue to ask white folks to recognize their privilege so that they can 
do something about it. So that white folks talk about equality won't be no equality unless you give up some of your privilege. Yeah. More from my conversation with Dr. Blay after the break. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a back seat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. 
Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Are you ready for a family vacation you will never forget? One where anything is possible? If so, it's time to plan your getaway to sunny Orlando. Orlando really is the ultimate family destination. It's time to break out the matching bedazzled t-shirt, dust off your go-to dad jokes, and prepare for exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, and fresh new dining experiences, and so much more. Of course, you know that Orlando is the theme park capital of the world, with 15 of the world's top theme parks and water parks all in one place, and beyond the parks, there is also excitement and family fun around every corner. If you're ready to plan an epic Orlando vacation, but you're not sure where to start, you can talk one-on-one with one of their Visit Orlando vacation planners. In Orlando, anything is possible. If you can imagine it, plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. I appreciate you broadening the conversation to skin color politics because I think you're right that a lot of the conversation sometimes gets shut down because people get caught in the semantics of it, right? Like maybe they don't necessarily understand that colorism like doesn't go both ways, right? Right. And so they want to have space for their pain too. But if we broaden it to skin color politics, then there is space for all of those conversations. Absolutely. And again, for me, let's not have any of these conversations absent of a contextualization within white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Because if you understand white supremacy, and if this were a visual presentation, right? (laughs) I'd show you you a vertical hierarchy with whiteness at the top, blackness at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. Which means we've got a range of colors in between. But whiteness is at the top and blackness is at the bottom. So what happens to everything in between? If whiteness is situated as superior, that means that each one of those shades closer and closer to whiteness, closer to closer to privilege, right? That's the hierarchy of colorism. Mm. Those things aren't separate. So yes, it's not to say that there's not pain at every step of the hierarchy. And I hate to compare, like I hate when we get into like oppression Olympics. Yes. I'm not saying that you don't have pain. I'm just saying your pain ain't like mine and that's Mm -hmm. okay. I'm not saying mine is more, that it's greater, that it's better. It's not comparative is what I'm saying. Yours is yours. Mine is mine. But please do not act like there is not privilege attached to life skin. Let's not do that. Mm -hmm. It's as offensive as it is when we hear white folks acting like they don't have privilege. And I'm not saying that you asked for it. I'm not saying that you got in line and signed up for it. When I talk about skin color politics, then I can acknowledge that it's not your quote unquote fault, but it is what it is. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do about that? Those are the conversations we have to navigate as opposed to throwing darts at one another. And, you know, we don't like each other because of this, that and the third. What a beautiful conversation it would be. And I've had these conversations for a lighter skin sister that I acknowledge the privilege that I have. I know I didn't ask for it, but I can tell you all the experiences that I've had that I know I've gotten because of my skin color. And it Mm -hmm. pisses me off and I don't appreciate it. Right. But and this is what I think I might be able to do with it. Why don't you tell me, sister, what do you think I can do? How can I 
I don't want to use the language of ally because that's connected to other stuff, right? <laughs> but like, how can we be in community around this thing that we both acknowledge happened? What are some of the things you think are necessary for us to be able to create spaces to have these kinds of conversations? Yeah, I'm not sure if there's a guidebook. I mean, I know what I've done. And, and you know, and, and it's not anything that I think, you know, I can say that other folks can necessarily replicate, but there's a lot of work that comes with it that I don't know we're all ready to do because it's painful. Mm. So this might be connected, maybe not, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway. More recent news, let's say this year. You know, from a professional standpoint, I know a lot of women that do, Black women, who do all kinds of work, public work, right? Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, because of white supremacy, because we've been robbed, if you will, over time of particular opportunities, now when we get opportunities, and by we, I mean Black folks in general, we on some Issa Rae. I'm rooting for everybody Black, right? (laughs) In that space, though, it's difficult because on the one hand, I'm rooting for everybody Black, but why can't I point out that everybody Black seems to be looking a particular way? Because mm. we're not supposed to say that publicly, right? We're supposed, <laughs> to, be, we're supposed to be celebrating Blackness. And, 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 and the painful thing is, when you talk about how do we get to a space where, where we can have these conversations, you should also know that dark-skinned women, dark-skinned people are tired of being the only ones calling it out. Mm-hmm. In the same way that Black people are tired of being the only ones calling out white supremacy. Yeah, and it does seem like, you know, you've mentioned a couple of times where you feel like you've had like successful kinds of conversations like this. And it it does seem like the privacy piece is a large part of it, right? But I think Mm -hmm. what often happens is that we try to have these conversations like on Instagram or on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to be the space. I mean, let let me not say that. I think those spaces can be uh, uh, conduits to healing, but let's not expect too much. We're limited yes. by characters. And also for me, I text a lot, but mm-hmm. I, if there's something going down, we got to talk. Yeah. These words typed out, ain't it? We got to right. talk. Yeah, we got to talk it out. Yeah. And it, it does seem like, I mean, I think you probably heard these jokes around like secret black girl meetings and <laughs> oh, we got to have a meeting. We got to talk about this thing. Right. And in some ways, I really wish we had that. I mean, no, of course, sure. I think we have that in smaller communities. Right. Like in our sure. group chats and in our, you know, but I, I feel like there would be a lot that could be accomplished if we could be in a room, so Absolutely. to speak, with one another in a space that felt private and confidential for us to really hash out some of these things. Absolutely. And by safe, you know, who's ever in conversation, I think you would, I don't know that it could be just an open conversation for everyone to contribute necessarily as much as like, who's going to model how to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. Like we need models. We don't have models for this. We know I'm dating myself, (laughs) you know, school days, right. We know, (laughs) We know the beef. We know team light skin, team dark skin. We don't have many models for for sisters of different complexions having, I'm not going to say healing conversations as much as that conversations that ultimately acknowledge each of us, each of us, even when it's painful. And to be quite honest, part of, you know, my inspiration and motivation to do the work of One Drop was to heal my own stuff around colorism as much as it was connected to Black identity. So if I'm dark-skinned growing up in New Orleans, right, Mm -hmm. and being, 
rejected and teased and bullied and what have you because of that dark skin or feeling like I'm left out of particular spaces and opportunities because of that dark skin, then how do, I'm not going to say defend myself because it became less about a defense as it was about an offense, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And so the one thing you can't ever take away from me is my Blackness. If you see me, no one is asking a question at all. There's no question to be asked. So then what happens to folks who are racially ambiguous, folks who might identify as Creole, you know, mm-hmm. you're not black. Right. I am. And so it was a complete turnaround, eye-opening experience to move to the Northeast and come into contact with folks who look like the folks I grew up with, but who were very clear that they were black. So I'm like, well, how'd that work? <laughs> right. Because, and again, listen to the language. Why would you claim blackness when you don't have to? Mm-hmm. Which when you unpack that, Yaba, says a lot about your relationship to white supremacy, sis. Mm-hmm. Right? Are you not conforming then or conceding then to that superiority complex? Are you not feeding the idea then that whiteness is superior and therefore all of those shades beneath it are more superior to your dark ebony complexion? Why wouldn't somebody want to be black, sis? You so black and proud. Why wouldn't somebody want to be black? Right. And so having all of these conversations and talking to all of these folks from all kinds of backgrounds who claim that. And and again, in this moment, having done the word, it almost sounds offensive to say claim their blackness because for Mm -hmm. me, was it a choice? Right. You see what I'm saying? And so that's my stuff. Looking at them from where I am thinking that it's a choice because I didn't have that choice. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so. I had to sit on my hands in a lot of ways and let them lead me because it wasn't about me. It was about me in terms of a starting point. But if I really wanted to be open to the healing, I had to let them lead me. I had to be present and listen to what they were saying and not translate it. So what's in the book, I had, you know, interviews with folks, in-person interviews that I recorded and transcribed. And what I wrote as their memoirs are their words. And in terms of the process, once I wrote the narrative form, I sent it to them for their approval. And we did edits together because I wasn't going to publish anything. I needed them to trust me with their stories. Mm -hmm. This wasn't about me reframing, rewording, you know? This is what you said. Does this work for you? Because it's your picture that's going to be next to this, (laughs) not mine, you know? And so... It just reminds me of so many situations just in relationships in general. Right. That if you enter a conversation that might be conflicting or conflictual, I should say, and you enter it as a fight or you enter it committed to winning, you are not open to hearing what the other person has to say. Because you're so focused on winning, you're so focused on 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 the comeback and the retort and the dismissal that you're not present. For the conversation and you cannot acknowledge their truth. And that's hard for so many of us who are so used to having to defend ourselves, who are so used to having to fight. And then you want to do this in the context of colorism? (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. That's a big challenge. So I also want to extend, you know, us some grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Not easy at all. More from Dr. Blay after the break.
Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy here. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month. It's crucial for us, especially as Black women, to focus on our heart health. We pour our heart and soul into every aspect of our lives, but often our own health takes a backseat. That's where release the pressure comes in. It's all about us. Black women seeing self-care as an essential act of self-preservation. Whether it's for yourself, your family, or our community, your health is invaluable. Let's help to get our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Here's how you can join in. Head over to iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. Let's make our health a priority. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP today. Together, we can make a difference in our health and our lives. Join us and let's take care of our hearts together. May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now online and in-store. Some of my favorites are the jewelry from Hey Maeve and the skincare products from Kaja. For the entire month of May, join Macy's in supporting AAPI-owned fashion brands. You can show your support by donating online or by rounding up in store to benefit APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Join me by rounding up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support API scholars, an educational nonprofit. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. Many people feel anxious when they think about finances. It can feel overwhelming, stressful, and even hopeless, especially when you're first starting out and don't know what to do. But when you have a solid financial plan in place, this anxiety turns into confidence. You can regain a sense of control over your life and improve your self-esteem. How do you build financial confidence? Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit helps you take control of your finances through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Are you ready for a family vacation you will never forget? 
One where anything is possible? If so, it's time to plan your getaway to sunny Orlando. Orlando really is the ultimate family destination. It's time to break out the matching bedazzled t-shirt, dust off your go-to dad jokes, and prepare for exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, and fresh new dining experiences, and so much more. Of course, you know that Orlando is the theme park capital of the world, with 15 of the world's top theme parks and water parks all in one place. And beyond the parks, there is also excitement and family fun around every corner. If you're ready to plan an epic Orlando vacation, but you're not sure where to start, you can talk one-on-one -on -one with one of their Visit Orlando vacation planners. In Orlando, anything is possible. If you can imagine it, plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. I wonder if there are other questions because I, I think that was such a beautiful question how you kind of examine like is this my stuff like mm -hmm. what's coming up in terms of my own relation to blackness right mm -hmm. are there other questions that you can offer that might be helpful for people to kind of examine you know how they might be moving through the world related to their identity hmm. I mean I think again those questions of identity in terms of who I am I don't have a step-by-step -step guide but like sitting in that question for a minute who am I? And whatever answers you come up with, are they your answers or were they answers that have been given to you over time? Our parents give us a lot of answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> our families give us a lot of answers. Our friends give us a lot of answers. Our, our intimate partners give us a lot of answers. What is the work of digging through and unpacking all that to get to your answer? You know, I think of the college students that I, I taught I taught in a political science department in my last position at an HBCU. Everybody was going to be a lawyer. <laughs> I'm like, look, here, all y'all ain't getting into law school. OK, so what else? What else is possible? But it's just so interesting. You know, I was raised by Ghanaian parents. So you have about five options in terms of what they thought was success. You know, doctor, lawyer, engineer. There's so many of us who are in school for so many things that have nothing to do with who we are mm. and our best selves. And so the challenge I have found with parenting and what I think is really beautiful parenting is to take yourself out of it. So much of parenting, and I think this is also connected to a lot of cultural and historical stuff, is that parents, we give ourselves, we are hard on ourselves and we believe that whatever it is our children do or don't do is a reflection of us and our parenting. And sometimes it don't have nothing to do with you. Yeah. That's them. So that if your child doesn't go to college, if your child doesn't become a quote unquote successful X, Y, and Z, that somehow you think people are looking at you sideways. Like you did something wrong. We have the privilege and the blessing in this moment to, you know, challenge ourselves to find joy in our work. When folks say I'm my, my ancestors' wildest dreams, that's what I mean. Taking advantage of the possibilities they didn't have. Yeah. It's enough engineers in this world. It's enough attorneys. It's enough medical doctors. Again, not discouraging anybody if that's truly who and what you want to be. But let's be honest. Most of us, when it's time to quote unquote, pick your career in mm -hmm. the same way, it's time to pick your major. How many of us actually went through a process where we were connecting that choice with who we really are? Mm -hmm. No, we think about how much money I can make. <laughs> right. How I can pay these <laughs> loans back. 
You see what I'm saying? <laughs> We're not thinking of ourselves for real, for real. It's almost yeah. like it's just a concession. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. am I willing to do? And so, again, we might have had a different conversation a few years ago, but it's definitely where I am in this moment in my life. And it's been a beautiful, like, revealing to me. I'm learning so much about myself now that I work for myself mm-hmm. about what I want. And how that might look different next year. And guess what? I'm going to be all right. Right, right. Yeah, you know, you mentioned how a lot of times these answers come from our parents and from other people Mm -hmm. in our family. But I think, you know, the other thing is that a lot of these answers sometimes come from media, right? And so I think especially as we're thinking about like colorism and we, you know, think about like how media perpetuates these ideas about like what blackness looks like. And so, you know, today I think we see shows like Blackish and Mm Mixedish and like there's one look for how a family mm-hmm. is, but then we think about, you know, like good times or the Bernie mm-hmm. Mac show mm-hmm. and families look very different. So I'm mm-hmm. wondering what your thoughts about like what prompted this shift in how black families look different as it is seen today. Mm-hmm. I would question if it's a shift. <laughs> really? I yeah. I mean, it's a shift on surface, but ultimately they still, both presentations ultimately support white supremacy, you know? So when you talk about, okay, there might be a time where we saw predominantly dark-skinned families on TV, what kind mm-hmm. of family, though? Were they in the projects? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Well, not Bernie Mac. <laughs> well, not Bernie Mac, no. But was yeah, Good Times, family? definitely. Good yeah. Times, Sanford and you, that generation. Got it. Right? Mm-hmm. Moving forward then, okay, let's say the Cosby show that people love so much to the extent that they <laughs> want to defend that man, but I'll leave that alone. The Cosby show, you got Cliff and you got Claire. I always question, I know, yes, there's a diversity in Blackness. I know we come in all shades, but y'all not going to convince me that Denise and what was the older sister's name? Sandra. Sandra. (laughs) Y'all can't convince me that Sandra and Denise came from them them, them two people. Sorry. (laughs) So similarly, when we looked at mixed dish or we look at Blackish, like what I'm saying is those tropes hardly change. Because a mama is supposed to be beautiful and feminine, yes. What's she look like every time? The daddy's supposed to be strong and the provider. What's he look like every time? And then you get the United Nations among the kids. Those tropes haven't changed. We're still projecting similar images, I think. Now, again, it's not to say some total because we do have different right. examples, right? Like, what am I thinking of? Everybody hates Chris. Oh, uh huh. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We have different examples, and that found that show found lots of success, right? So, mm-hmm. again, it's not to say in total, but it's still there. Yeah. And so, the media is absolutely responsible for a lot of our stuff because if we are only relying upon the media to see ourselves, we're getting very strong messages about not only who we are, but who we can potentially be mm-hmm. yeah I'm a hard one like I don't want it's, I don't give the media too much credit <laughs> <laughs> incremental y'all not getting gold stars no no definitely I, not. I'm gonna definitely give you not. credit where, where I see it but most of the things that I would celebrate are mm-hmm. independent productions you know it's why I love Issa Rae production so much yeah. you yes. know what I mean like much of that had to come from the ground swell up it's not the mainstream mm-hmm. still right 
So we could talk forever, yeah, but I mean, there's just so much more I want to talk with you about, but I know we have to wrap up, but I do want to get a sense of any resources that you really enjoy that you think other people who are interested in like digging a little deeper into this conversation might also enjoy anything you would share. Hmm. You know, I don't want to go the textbook route necessarily because there are lots of books, you know, that talk about the history of colorism and things of that nature, but I'm a visual person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of the projects that I created, it's called Pretty Period. Mm -hmm. On Instagram, it's at I am pretty period, not to big up myself, but to big up myself. Of course. (laughs) The the project is really, uh, it's a kind of collective response to the backhanded compliment I've gotten way too many times is, oh, you pretty for a dark skin girl, Mm -hmm. which is not a compliment at all. And the response is, no, I'm pretty, period. And so part of the work of the project is part of the reason why I love Instagram, because it is a visual platform. Mm-hmm. I would just encourage people not just to look at Pretty Period and the images that we share on a daily or go to the website, which is prettyperiod.me, but do some hashtag search. You can hashtag melanin anything, you know, hashtag black girl anything and just see the diversity of our beauty you know, online, because again, we don't have to rely on the mainstream anymore. Mm -hmm. Like we are creating new images of and for ourselves, I think. In addition to that, I also don't want to discourage you from digging into the history of colorism and Black racial identity. It's hard, you know, when folks ask me about resources, because I feel like I end up having to name the same work over and over again, which is okay. But at the same time, I think it also speaks kind of to what we open the conversation with, like the idea that many of us aren't taught, trained, or guided in terms of thinking critically. So if it's in a book, it's real. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying also that the publishing industry controls which books are released. Right. So then there's somebody who's making an assessment about which conversations we get to have. And in which direction and for what audience. And so, yes, there are lots of resources out there. I'm just not sure that there's any one that I would say, this is it. Mm-hmm. If I would have to say one, and it's not connected to colorism as much as it's connected to Blackness and our identity. It is a novel called Home Going by Yajasi. Mm-hmm. You know, so many people have read it. I am obsessed with this book. I adore it. If I were in the classroom, I would find a way to teach it. And it is an amazing book. And what I love about it is that it offers us the opportunity to connect the dots, right? And to Mm -hmm. stop seeing ourselves as these individual identities across the world and recognize that like when people say we came from the same place, that's like historical fact, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but I love how she tells the story. So I would definitely encourage folks to read that book again, just to be open in any case, not just the resources that I'm sharing, but any resource that anybody shares with you recognize that you're only going to get from that resource, what you're able to right? Mm -hmm. Based upon where you are, (laughs) what you're willing to release about yourself in order to receive what's being shared. So all of that to say, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you shared, you've already shared some good stuff as well. (laughs) And where can we keep up with you and all the incredible work that you're doing? We already have pretty period. Where else can we find you? 
I'm online. My website is yabablay.com. And I'm also on social on Instagram and Twitter at yabablay. So my name will lead you to where I am online. Perfect. Well, we will be sure to include all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for today, Yaba. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad that Dr. Blade was able to share her expertise with us today. To learn more about her and her work or to check out the resources that she shared, be sure to visit the show notes at therapyforblackgirls.com slash session 217. And don't forget to text two of your girls and tell them to check out the episode as well. If you're looking for a therapist in your area, be sure to check out our therapist directory at therapyforblackgirls.com slash directory. And if you want to continue digging into this topic or just be in community with other sisters, come on over and join us in the sister circle. It's our cozy corner of the internet designed just for black women. You can join us at community.therapyforblackgirls.com. Thank y'all so much for joining me again this week. I look forward to continuing this conversation with you all real soon. Take good care. Hey ladies, it's Dr. Joy. As women, we put our hearts into everything. May is High Blood Pressure Education Month, and it's time to focus on our heart health. Release the Pressure wants to help Black women look at self-care as an act of self-preservation. During High Blood Pressure Education Month, let's help get to our goal of 100,000 Black women putting their hearts first and learn more about their heart health. Visit iHeartRadio.com RTP for a chance to receive a $1,000 gift card to take care of yourself and prioritize your heart health. That's iHeartRadio.com RTP. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also empower you with a sense of complete control? Enter Conair Girlbomb, your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results made just for women. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip and professional grade blades, you don't have to compromise and settle for less. Conair Girlbomb equips you with the precision and power previously reserved for men's grooming tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level with Conair Girlbomb. Available at conairgirlbomb.com or a retailer near you. Nowadays, a lot of these big companies pretend to care about our communities and issues with nothing more than lip service. State Farm is the opposite. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help educate in financial literacy give early career advice, and grow Black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something they care deeply about. They want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't mean authenticity, that it takes a good neighbor to sponsor programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements and to fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth that to date participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, 
parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.